What's up, headbangers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today's guest is a mainstay in the Bay Area thrash metal scene. If you've heard the movie uh, Murder in the Front Row, you're very aware of this man's work. That movie started as a book, also titled Murder in the Front Row. His name is Harold Oyman, better known as Harold O. And uh, he's going to share a bunch of his stories today about his time in the pit, his time uh, taking photos of some of the biggest names in metal before they were big. Uh, he was also friends with these guys, rode in the van with these guys, and he played bass in DRI for nearly 20 years in the later days of DRI. Yeah, so that's we're a, really that's excited a, to have him today. That's a big That's a big point right there. Not only was he um, is a, a staple in the Bay Area uh, metal scene and the, the earliest, like, he's one of the seeds that helped it grow into what... Uh, the legend has procured as just a forest of uh, of metal bands and and later on all kinds of bands and crossover and then later on went on to be in DRI for like you said a couple of decades and that right there is like what you know yeah. so he's really I I I want to this sounds like a diss but I'm not dissing him he's I want to say he's like a wearer of many hats but he's not. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he's just Harry O. He's just the guy that's there all the time. When I think of the Bay Area scene, I think about, you know what? I think about him and I think of Paul Bailoff. I still think of Paul Bailoff like he's alive. Yeah. Like he's the guy going, where's all the posers? Let's go beat on some posers. You know, I, I feel yeah. like he's one of those kind of like funny caricature type people. And this this episode of the Talk Louder podcast is kind of going to show you a little bit and, you know, what's happening in the mind of of Harold Oyman. Um, yeah. I believe Harold Oyman's name is almost if you're a metalhead, a real metalhead, it should be a household name. It should be yeah. somebody somebody's name you've read a thousand times minimal in magazines in uh, special thank yous in all of your album collection, if it's spe especially if it's a band from the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, I don't know if his name is in in the special thanks and kill them all, but m in my mind, it is. I think that it is, um, because he was there in those days. Uh, yeah. We're gonna hear about. We're gonna hear bits and pieces because we only talked to him. Oh, I don't know. Only two hours. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> We couldn't stop asking questions. I mean, the guy was so full of great stories. And here's the thing. Even if you don't know his name, you know his work. If you own Ride the Lightning, you've seen Harold's work. If you own Seven Churches by Possessed, you've seen Harold's work. If you own Bonded by Blood by Exodus, you've seen Harold's work. I mean, his photos have appeared on some of the most... Uh, milestone heavy metal thrash records of all time hold up the possessed record for us again for like the like 25th time yeah 
Seven Churches. I bought this when it came out when I was a kid, and I was always fascinated by the photos on the back. The photos on the back were actually the reason I bought this album. And knowing that we were having Harold on the show today, I was like, okay, I need the story behind this photo shoot. And he's going to yeah, break it just, down and not share just with read, us. Not just read about it in the book Murder in the Front Row, which if you're also a metalhead and you don't have the book Murder in the Front Row, you go to murderinthefrontrow.com and get and order one now. Of course, you can get it where all fine books are sold. But, um, you know, the the get you're going to get the lowdown and thank god that you had your your seven churches by possessed record uh at the ready i don't so go far without it we right back pocket <laughs> and so we could really get uh from literally from the horse's mouth from the harry's mouth yeah. uh, uh about how it went down and what kind of happened we got more than we asked for from absolutely uh, from harold oyman and his uh his legendary stories of just growing up in the bay area born and raised in san francisco let's don't wait any uh, further without further ado as they say uh harold oyman here on the talk louder podcast <laughs> You are, in my eyes, a legend of the Bay Area scene, which is really why and what this show is all about. It's why we have a show to talk to like people who are maybe almost as big a nerd as we are uh, for just <laughs> for rock and roll, you know, and just what just the whole thing, right? Yeah, blatant. I'm a proud music nerd. I, I yeah. live for music. Like that's well, that's. That's the best thing in life. There's nothing that even comes close, you know? I I agree. Well, you're in the right house right yeah. now. Yeah, you, are, awesome. you are in the right house, bro. Big time. Um, you know, we, uh, I, I, I would probably want to start by just playing like, uh, I'll just call it the name dropping game here on the Talk Louder podcast, the name dropping gang. <laughs> So tell a story when I say, I call the game name dropping. So if I say, you tell a story about what I, after I drop something. Death okay, Angel. Okay, the blanks. Death Angel. Uh, most underrated Bay Area band that should be huge. Wow. And I did their first photo shoot ever uh, on some train tracks, and the drummer Andy was 12 years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah, most wow. underrated for sure. That they should be huge. I mean, they have the song. I mean, they're so great. I just seen them like last week at this aftershock festival with a uh, Death Angel or with Testament and Exodus and Metallica. It was just spectacular. And wow. they played for like thirty minutes, and I thought it was going to be like weak because you know it was only thirty minutes, but they just came out there and just slayed, man. They're so great. I saw so. your post about it, and you were. That's what I like about your posts uh, on social media. They're they're, you know, they're a little bit, uh, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong and throw rocks back at me, but they're a little sort of just stream of consciousness. And that's fine because I kind of post the same way. <laughs> you're yeah. laughing, post the same way sometimes, but you're like 
fuck my legs hurt i'm too old for this shit or <laughs> you know what i mean and i was like and i was like yeah but look where you were you were in fucking heaven you didn't have legs you were kind of floating around it was like a transcendent moment for you with the words that you were saying in between like fuck my legs hurt god damn that was the greatest moment of my life fuck i'm getting old god damn it they slayed <laughs> fuck my legs hurt yeah it was all worth it man um suicidal yeah. too on that show um in particular, were incredible. They have Rob Trujillo, uh, they play from Metallica. His son is playing bass for them. Yeah, Ty. And he's just a monster. Ty, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He's incredible. I had no idea he was even playing. And um, his Lombardo didn't play um, some kind of scheduling conflicts with uh, Misfits and stuff. But uh, right, I saw they were that. fucking on fire, man. So, oh, my God. I was, who, who like, do you know, do you know <laughs> who was standing in for a Suicidal? I'm not sure on the drums. Some, some guy with curly hair and a single bass drum. He was badass too, but they were on fire, dude. I mean, the, um, uh, the Ty, the baseball kid, he was like Angus Young. I mean, he was just incredible. Yeah. And um, I've seen, seen Suicidal probably 30, 40 times. Uh, DRI did a tour with him like about probably seven or eight years ago. And uh, that was like the best show since the original lineup, I think. It was just so good, you know? Yeah. Well, why don't we talk, why don't we talk a little bit about DRI? Because... Sure. Uh, they have a relationship to Texas and they have a relationship to Austin, Texas in particular by way of Felix, um, whom, you know, uh, I can throw a rock and, and hit someone that, I mean, my yeah. next door, my next door neighbor grew up with Felix. So there you go. Oh, small world, uh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, well, he's a staple South Austin, right? So, yeah. um, any, anyway, so you, did you replace Josh? Uh, my DRI history is spotted, so. I'm, I'm actually a uh, bass player number eight in a continuing series, I always just say. Um, I replaced a guy named Chumley. Oh, who okay. Was, um, he played on their last studio record they did called uh, Full Speed Ahead. And um, uh, he unfortunately passed away, but he was like my best friend. And there was a time when we and, me and him were both kind of competing for the for the bass slot. And before that, I tried out once before, but... Um, I met them back in 1988 on the Four of a Kind tour, and uh, Josh hadn't gotten a roadie for himself, so Spike appointed me as Josh's roadie. <laughs> so we, we did we did a four month tour with Creator and Holy Terror across the states, and it was like it was like wild because I mean I'd never gone on tour before. I was like a I was a little bit green, you could say. I was a little bit wet under the ears, so it was a huge eye opening experience for me, and um, uh. That was just a blast. And, of course, look at Creator now. They're still going strong, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they were opening for us. And it was funny because um, Creator were, were kind of like, uh, you know, Lodka from Taxi? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they were kind of like that. They had never been to the States before, and they were kind of like bright-eyed. A bunch of people took advantage of them on certain things, and uh, I made sure that nobody took advantage of them again after that, you know, basically, so to speak. So. <laughs> right on. <laughs> but they're still going strong, you know? Yeah, so it's... it's you were it's, in DRI from what ninety nine to twenty seventeen or something like that. Correct, correct. Yeah, that that's a really long stretch. Um, yeah. But you, Hell yeah. but there's only uh, one album out in that time, or maybe there's one that you're on. Is that there's right? EP. EP. Yeah, EP. Uh, wait, there's more. Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, but, but wait, there's more. Yeah, there's uh, three new songs and two uh, redos of the classics, and uh, that was one thing that was kind of frustrating when I was in the band the whole time because. They had no plans of even doing any recording. And um, I guess this website gave me the distinction of being in a band the longest and never having recorded with them. That's and what that I was would... 
that's, yeah. that's, what, that's, that's where I was going with that. I was like, man, that's a, that's a long run to be in a band and not really have any recorded documentation of it's it. It's almost so, like a, it's like a, it's, it would be a funny t-shirt, the bass player, the longest bass player who never recorded a song, you know? Exactly. exactly. I, I joined I mean, DRI for 20 years and all I got was this lousy EP. Or, right. or like that. And, and I was always, I was, always, I was looking like I was a metalhead in a punk, stuck in a punk band basically, you know? I love that. Yes, I love yeah. that very much. And it also, and, uh, that, that sort of throws me into some other, my brain throws it against a, a different wall, but I'm sorry to interrupt. You were going to say something. No problem. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, uh, Mikey Offender, who played on Dealing With It, uh, yes. I'm actually in a band with Pat Doyle, who's the drummer in the Offenders. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, so it, we're called Igniter. It's a power metal band, satanic. So it's like, stand by for Igniter. <laughs> it, it, well, con- hey. yeah, sure. We rip off them too. Uh, <laughs> but Pat's great, and you know he's a he's a punk rock hardcore drummer playing double kick. You know, so right. he, that's what's cool about the crossover thing is uh, you know <clears throat> you don't get old playing one style of aggressive music. You know, you you die young and you don't. Right. Another thing was so there's Mikey Offender who also I believe. I want to say worked with MDC before yeah, he, so. before he passed away. So there's yeah. this connection with like uh, Texas and uh, San Francisco Bay Area by way of Spike. I want to say that like at some point, members of DRI, I'm not sure who, were living in Houston. Yep. The band started in Houston. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very and much. The, and the whole reason, the whole reason that DRI moved to San Francisco is that MDC had just moved there and told them they could eat for free at the soup kitchens, and they could like live in the park and everything. Which I guess they didn't have, they didn't have a bunch of food programs like that out in uh, Texas. So they moved out there so they could eat. Because I guess you know, eating was, I mean, just getting the next meal was tough. Uh, yeah. I uh, Kurt, Kurt used to live in a tree in Golden Gate Park. Wow. He lived in a tree. He didn't have a home. I mean, he was homeless. He'd go on tour. And then Spike would tell me stories that they they would sleep underneath cars waiting for the soup kitchen to open. You know, and I mean, it, it was pretty rough back then. You know. So, so I think Kurt's still in Houston, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was the connection. Sorry, kind of a a little bit of a brain fart, and uh, oh no, had, no, totally. Had totally. to make I a, mean, had to make a U turn. I have to. Whole... This is this kind of you know. I I always do this. I'm not trying to make it be about me, but there's more of a connection. I was my first vinyl appearance was on a compilation record called uh, "Cottage Cheese from the Lips of Death," and it was <laughs> you know in the, slash a Texas hardcore compilation. Right. And it had DRI on it. It had really red stick moon with ray guns. It was a bunch of San Antonio, Houston, Austin punk punk bands. DRI, but 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 the Offenders and DRI were. And it was Watchtower song. The song Meltdown was on there, and we uh, Gibby Haynes uh, did the cover. Buttholes, of course, were on it. And um, it's an it was an honor to be asked. You know, here's these high school kids playing right. techni- technical kind of speedy jazz metal kind of screaming bullshit metal that you know were like fit right in. So and they put you on a punk. They put you on a punk compilation. Yeah, yeah. that awesome. is cool. Just like a metalhead being the bass player for DRI. There's no right. It's not yeah. even a surprise to me. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, Texas. Um, Texas is like a. I mean. That's where they started and everything. And uh, Spike was actually from New York, 
and he was making his way like to California and he kind of stopped in Texas and then he ended up staying there and that they ended up forming the band there, you know. But uh and um they used to practice at Kirk's house. This is the classic DRI song called Madman. Yeah. Where they had the tape recorder running and they recorded the dad coming in. Yeah, oh, I just got off of work, I, I don't want to hear your crap. And it, I know it's like it well. classic. Oh, I know it yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I heard that story, and, and and I think that's also where the band got the name because wasn't the dad ranting and raving and calling him a bunch of dirty, rotten imbeciles or something exactly, like that? Exactly, exactly, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah there you have it. Name. One that's of the greatest name, names ever, courtesy of somebody's angry dad. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of perfect. And, uh, no, that's great. I, I had a blast playing the band, though. I was, almost lasted 20 years. Yeah. And like, it's, I, like it's I got amazing. to go all over the world. I played played South America big we're for some reason DRI has always been really big in um Hispanic or like, like Latino countries like Spain, Mexico, um mm. all South America. We used to play festivals down there in front of like 30, 40,000 people. We played one with uh co-headlining with destruction. I think there was 80,000 people there in in uh, Colombia somewhere and it was a oh. free show the government was like sponsoring. Whoa. So it was like it was huge, and it was just oh my god! It's like isn't, isn't there's like something? five different pits going at the same time. It's just it, such a isn't thrill. That, you know? Isn't that incredible when 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 a government is sponsoring a hardcore show? Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and people, the people in those countries like that, they're they're much more like uh, they're much more into the into the music. They're much more dedicated. I mean, music seems to mean a lot more to them down there than like people here is kind of like flavor of the month kind of thing you know right yeah well and what a lot of people don't realize uh whether it be from a soccer mom to even someone who you know teaches music to someone or whatever all walks of life there's a lot of people they just don't know i mean they're just ignorant to it that the fact that there are countries canada's like this australia's like this all of the south american countries are like this they will the governments will whether it be local or or you know the country itself will will uh sponsor the the show yeah and the arts uh, too anything art related kind of yeah yeah exactly yeah. art related and, yeah. and here's the deal it gives someone a job at least for the day for a right. few days for a week especially if it's in a like a like at a soccer stadium or something they got to uh, clean uh, that they got to prepare it they got to strap shit down they got to move shit they got you know so that is incredible just by all in the name of art oh yeah. completely completely i wish our government would do that more you know that was my point yeah yeah <laughs> instead of spending all this money on fucking uh war and weapons and fucking a bunch of bullshit we don't need you know it's like right well, that's all fear-based. America is the most most scared country. Hands down. Scared. Especially now. More yeah. than ever. Right, right. right. Yeah. We don't know which way is up. Anyway, we, we don't do uh, politics. We don't really Thank talk. Thank we you. don't really talk COVID or anything. <laughs> that's great. I'm so happy. Me, yeah. me neither. Yeah. I can't yeah. stand it. Yeah, so we just like hang out and talk about exactly the shit we got. All right, let me throw another one. Let's talk about probably the greatest documentary ever made in my opinion is murder in the front row you are your hands are i i, I oh, how much i'll buy the hat off your head how much you want it for that's all that's one of a kind it was made by a fan oh incredible oh. yeah so that's so awesome. here's the deal i you know there was a one night only showing oh uh, yeah. signed by yeah uh, nice. It was a one night only showing. I had to go see it. I ran into you know a bunch of metalheads there, of course. That oh, I in knew. Texas, you mean? Where you're? Yeah, where you're was, at? Yeah, in Austin. 
It was it was one night showing screening, and I I shed tears. I was so awesome. It was, it was incredible. Thank uh, you, man. Yeah, man. Like when Kirk was saying, you know, saying the things that he said, he was crying. I was crying with him. It, that, oh yeah, for sure. That is. Uh, tell us, tell us about. I want to just go back to w the reason that I really was excited. You know, even just inside my own. Uh, head and heart uh, he would be awesome i want to have harry o on the show because <laughs> you know all of these reasons just flooded but one of the big ones was and you know i mean murder in the front row the book and the film are only a year two years old yeah how old's the book the book's 12 years old now yeah 12 book, years yeah. 12 i think 12 years and that the movie is, is about two and a half, three years. That book has been right. out for 12 years. Isn't that hard to believe? Where did the times go, right? But yeah. why didn't I know about it until just a handful of years ago? I'm not sure. God, we, I'm we, sleeping. We, we crammed it down people's throats for a while. It sold close to 50. I think we sold, we broke 50,000 copies. We sold now too, which is amazing. Wow. Maybe it was the movie came across my, right, right. my, yeah. my brain. And, and then I was like, oh, there's a book. Oh, what? You know? Uh, but I did hear. I think I did hear about the book before the the movie. But the movie right, right. probably triggered a lot of energy towards uh, and vice versa. And vice versa. Correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm proud owner of the book. You were in Texas with DRI. How long ago? Um, there's a point wait, to me. There's, there, there's a point to me asking. I swear, you you were in Texas with DRI or with Kurt with one of Kurt's bands or it, I, how long ago was it? That could have been the four of a kind tour in 88, but um, mm. I didn't start playing with them until 99. So yeah. when was the last time you were, were in Texas? That would probably would have been 99. I think. Wow. Really? Been a while. You yeah. Need to come okay. back. <laughs> All right. So, so that that blows that out because I I I must have had some inf bad information. No but I'm worries. pretty sure we met in San Francisco when you came and played the Rock on Broadway. Okay, so I, I don't know if you remember that, but um, you, I took a bunch of shots to you guys. I don't know if you went to KOSF afterwards, but we had a Ron Quintana connection. I think I I did, and we can talk about that right now. Is going to wait, but we can talk about that. So Ron Quintana booked Watchtower a few shows in the Bay, right. and that would you guys been, were badass, by the way. Thank you. That you guys were fucking incredible. Th well, uh, thank you very much. That and Sigmund and the Sea Monster, dude, playing Hemisphere shit, that fucking blew my fucking mind, dude. Oh, thank you. Well, You nailed that Getty Lee shit, dude. And thank you, dude. Before, before I forget, not to go off subject, but uh, um, uh, this is Rush Connected here. We're going from tangent to tangent. Um, Primus is playing Farewell to Kings in its entirety. They were just and here. I, I saw them two nights ago in Salt Lake City. Um, uh, I've known those guys for years. And tonight they're playing the Greek theater again. And it was fucking so amazing, dude. Wow. Uh, the music, I mean, they just nailed the music. They had the, they went and got the double neck guitars. Yes. Yeah. Uh, has a little trouble hitting that high register, um, which you were really good at, by the way, Jason. Okay. You can fucking nail a shit. But um, a couple of times he hit the high register and the whole crowd would go, ah. And oh, it was so fucking awesome. They had the double necks. Um, they got the, you know, the Rickenbacker, like Eddie, and the double, the Gibson for Larry. And oh, they were so fucking killer, dude! Wow, I can't rage about that. It was one of the top two or three shows I've ever seen in my life. 
Total well, goosebumps that's, and that's, body rushes the whole time. Man. It's that's, incredible. That's crazy because um, I've been I've been seeing pictures exactly the way you just described it. I've been, been seeing photos online and fan reviews and stuff like that. And yeah. And uh, I, I I jumped into a couple of threads asking about about exactly what you just touched on about Will is right. Les gonna, is Les going to sing Getty like Les, or is he going to try to sing it like Getty? And then the well, P- some of the parts like some, some of the ones that were really high, yeah. he sang the entire uh, part in a lower register. Oh, okay. So it's all the hypocrites are slandering. He's all the hypocrites are slandering. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, he'd sing it lower, but uh, yeah. Um, he actually took lessons from Getty uh, preparing for this tour. And the, the stage setup is exactly like Carol DeKings. Uh, Herb, the drummer, he got uh, set up um, with his, uh, he had his uh, buddy of his, uh, Tim Soye, another drummer guy. Uh, he set up his entire drum kit. He's got, he's got the uh, tubular bells and the wind chimes and the little coconut things and all this stuff. Oh, it was so, you, you, didn't, you didn't get a chance to see it, huh, either of you? No. no, it was just in town uh, oh. a few weeks ago, and I, I saw the same thing that you're describing. A bunch of people posting on social media saying, "Oh my God, it was amazing!" And it these was people so are, are it, and these people are obviously I, rush geeks, so you know oh, they I'm know, they know what they're. Geek, but, yeah, but I mean, the cool thing is that um, you know uh, Rush took Primus on the road with them for uh, uh, I think on the Roll, Roll the, the Bones, bones yeah, yeah, tour. I, I, yeah, I saw that tour, yeah, yeah. and it was a trip because. Um, Les has, you know, this kind of quirky stage presence. He always used to say, I'd like to thank you and you and you and whatever like that. And then next rush tour, Denny Lee's doing the exact same thing. And yeah. they, I think they influenced each other. Yeah. And uh, Larry, the guitar player from Primus, he was telling me just about every night before they'd go on stage, they'd have a little thing where they'd all jam together in a room. And the only rule was you weren't allowed to play your regular instrument. You had to play something else. Oh, but wow. they would have these jams where they would be playing coffee cups and and coffee cans and all kinds of weird shit like that. <laughs> and um, Jenny Lee uh, came to the Bay Area once. Uh, oh, he was on tour with Rush, obviously. And he went out fishing with Les out on the Bay. And he had to be back a certain time. I guess they ran out of gas or their engine blew up. So here they're stuck out on the Bay. They, I guess they almost drowned. And supposedly Jenny Lee barely made it back to the show in time wow. um, to play the show. I mean, it was like it was like an adventure, you know? Whoa. And I think that. That's great. There's a great Primus book called Along the Electric Grapevine or something like that, uh, where they talk all about that. But yeah, wow. they're, they're best buds, man. It's Someone so cool. needs to make like a like a biopic film that has scenes like reenactments of them fishing and the truck running. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> fucking hilarious. And Getty running down the hallway, putting his kimono putting on, his, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, make it be fucking That's great. great yeah, it would be sweet. And there's uh, another uh, connection there, real quick. Uh, uh, if I if I may, just go off on one more of little course, man. Here. Of yeah. course, that's what we. That's why you're here. Yes, the tangents are where we go for. Yes. Um, Blind Illusion was uh, a Bay Area metal band that started in '78. Yes. And of course, uh, that was Les's first band. Yes. And um, uh, they've had like probably 35 different lineups, really unstable lineups. But Les and Larry play on the, the their uh, one album, The Sane Asylum. And so to anybody's in a kind of proggy uh, metal, kind of psychedelic vibe, yeah. people used to say they sounded like the Grateful Dead meets Metallica, but that's not a very good description. But they had all their martial cabs, like with tie-dye, and the drum heads were tie-dye. And uh, that was always one of my favorite records of all time. Uh, so great. And uh, uh, Mark Biederman, uh, the guitar player, singer, he's the one guy that's kept it together. Um, I bumped into him a few years later. I go, he started playing, he was in this, 
he's still doing Blind Illusion, but it was like this kind of country Neil Young twang thing that he was doing. Oh, yeah, dude, I, you got to get back to the heavy stuff, dude. You got to you got to start playing stuff like that on the album that you guys did, you know. And uh, I go, uh, I'd love to jam with you guys with with you. And basically, it was just him at that point. And um, uh, so me and a drummer learned a bunch of songs. And then I, I approached Mark and I said, Mark, we already have some of the songs down. Can we jam? And we did. And it was like magical. And this is like three or four years ago, right? Right during the last couple of years of DRI. So uh, yeah, basically, I got to join Blind Illusion, one of my favorite bands, which is incredible. So wow. well, I knew yeah. I knew Blind I knew Blind Illusion was a legendary Bay Area band that Les Claypool was was in and i used to hear about how i heard about it was metal mania ron quintana's right ron, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, the, it's the only way that a, a kid in texas would would know yeah. really anything about uh the bay area scene that was, magazine was but, awesome right yes uh yeah. yes uh was, it was like was, it was the best i thought it, fanzines, I was happy to and, fanzines and then later on uh uh, you know, they they would talk about the Bay Area scene in in, in magazines from other countries. Co correct right. for one, sounds right. and mainly correct. Yeah. I think Metal that's Hammer, Hard Shock. Yep, but that's how yeah. I heard about Metallica. You know, it right, had the right. photos of Lars with uh, with the short hair and the silver spandex and shit like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they, you probably took the photos. Yeah, there's a good chance. Yeah, there's a good chance. Yeah. Let's speaking, talk about. Speak, I'm sorry, Dave. Go, Dave. No, okay. Yeah, I I've got. Um, you're you're gonna have to forgive me, Harold. I'm I'm a I'm a journalist by trade, so I've got a list of questions, and your background is really uh, interesting to me. And I wanted to sort. First of all, I wanted to set the stage for anyone that's not familiar. You put out this photo book called Murder in the Front Row. You said 12 years ago. It obviously turned into a motion picture a couple years ago. In that right. book, there are all these classic metal photos some of which people are very familiar with i looked at the cover and right away i reckon recognized that photo of jeff hanneman and i'm right. like i've seen that photo before i think it's on the hell awaits record and i was wrong it's on the inside of the hell awaits record it's Correct. on the sleeve um, and then the paul bailoff photo i'm like that's on the back of bonded by blood, bonded by blood yeah, and yeah. sure enough it is so here's here's my question um and, and then I, I want to get to Possessed in a minute here, too. Sure. Uh, since we talked about uh, Larry Lalonde here just a bit. Yes. But Larry. your your photos, <laughs> your photos, uh, the Hanneman, the Bailoff, um, I recognized them right away from some albums. Um, so where what other albums would we know and recognize your photos from? Um, well, the Cliff Burton oh, shot shit. on the back of Rising Lightning. Got, you got oh, a half God. hour. It's gonna yes. take him a half yeah. hour to. Yeah, do <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, touch on some of the so touch on some of the the bigger ones. Like, okay, Metallica, Cliff Burton on the back of Ride the Lightning. That's a great one, by the way. Thank you, thank you. That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, he picked yes. that out himself, and uh, he liked it because he was doing a cool string bendy on it. If you, he's really stretching the string on that, and uh, um, yeah, that was a thrill. That was like that was probably my first major major. Um, uh, photo published on a record and i was just so thrilled just to see my name on the credits you know they yeah. put like weird weird harold oh and then the uh, only bummer thing is when the exodus came out they didn't put my name no thanks no photo credit or nothing so that right. was kind of a bummer i and was just I'm, devastated you know so that that kind of leads into my next question those photos now the, this is the early stage of all these bands careers and you're yeah, yeah. you're you're an enthusiast in the pit with your camera 
uh, the Metallica especially went on to gigantic, huge things. So back then in the day, did you get paid for these photos at all? Or was it just an honor for you to be, you know, sort of selected to have your photo appear on an album by a band you loved? Yeah, no, um, basically uh, that's kind of part of the problem with being friends with some of the bands is they kind of expect it for free and stuff. But, um, um, after Ride the Lightning ended up selling 5 million copies, uh, I said, I thought to myself, if I got a penny album, I'd be doing pretty well. But, uh, I I never really got paid much, but I'd say, um, through the years, all the Metallica shots I've got, they use them in magazines and a bunch of VH1 specials and MTV. And they're still using a bunch of my stuff for, uh, like Gibson has, that's, uh, he did, they did have a thing called icons. Yeah. They talked to like Kirk and, uh, Dave Mustaine and stuff. They used a bunch of my shots, but, uh, I've done pretty well off that. And the book continues to sell really good. It's amazing. Um, after all this time, uh, Ian, Ian Christie, the uh, publisher, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. uh, I'm just amazed that it continues to sell. Uh, I get a quarterly check for good good chunk of dough um, every every quarter, and it's like it blows me away that it still has the those legs. You know, it's still going. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not surprised whatsoever, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, because, man. I appreciate because it. Because there's a I, lot it came of out so great. I'm really proud of it. Yeah, know? there's a lot. Of course, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, Dave's holding up the possess record. So seven churches. Tell me about this photo shoot, because when I was a kid and I bought this album, this is the same copy, by the way, seven churches. The reason I bought this album was because of these photos on the back. Oh, wow. Wow. I took one look at this band and I went, holy shit. This is the most evil bunch of dudes I've ever seen. And it was the photos that sold me. So wow, that's awesome. What a compliment, man. Oh, well, yeah, no problem. I mean, I mean, look at those photos. Now, tell me, what do you remember about this photo shoot? And particularly, I've always loved the photo of Larry uh, with the smoke. And it looks like he's perched precariously on top of his 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 amplifiers and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, um, uh, tell, tell me about the, the photo shoot and the staging for it and how you got some of these effects on these photos, because it sold me right off the bat. Awesome. Thank you, man. It's the ultimate compliment. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, basically their manager, Debbie Abono was just like, she was like an, uh, an older lady. She managed them and she had, uh, they'd had a party at their house. Uh, like pretty much all, all night rager. Exodus, and we did the photo shoot uh, the next she, day. For she some managed reason. Exodus and violence, correct? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so we were, we were still going strong. Nobody had even gone to sleep by that point. And, um, uh, we, uh, she had these big styrofoam chunks in the backyard that were like leftover. And yeah, there we go. There's Larry. Um, she had these big styrofoam chunks left over from some, from like a refrigerator or something. And we just kind of set them up and we started putting blood, uh, which we made out of, uh, caro, caro syrup and red food coloring, which we trapped, uh, we trampled all over the house. It was all sticky. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, Debbie's son made a, a fog machine out of a pickle barrel and a hairdryer. And it worked, <laughs> it worked fucking awesome. And, um, that shot of Larry, the first one on top of the marshals there. Uh, we were we were totally wasted on Everclear, just wasted out of our skulls at this point. You know, after you know drinking all night long, so uh, Larry had to have uh, Toby, Toby Rage, a crazy other character in the Bay Area, had to uh, hold his legs behind the amp there. And uh, uh, yeah, that was one of the funnest photo shoots ever. Um, we we had tried to do it a, a time before that, and uh, we had, we we lit off a, a orange signal flare in their basement where they practiced. Thinking it was going to be a cool smoke effect. Next thing you know, the entire house is filled with orange smoke. You couldn't see your hand in front of your fucking face. 
And this big orange cloud just descended on the neighborhood because they were up on the top of this court. And um, it was hilarious. All of a sudden, here's Debbie. I bump into her in the hallway because I could just see her. She's like, what the hell are you guys doing? And it turned out to be like a signal flare that you'd have in the ocean for a, for a boat if yeah. you're like if you're like stuck in the ocean. And it was the wrong, completely wrong thing to do, you know. But uh, and then um, the same first time we tried it, uh, I had him standing in front of like a hibachi barbecue, and uh, with the flames coming up and stuff. And then there was this um, that didn't work out very well because it looked really cheesy. And a couple of the outtakes, you can see the barbecue. It makes it even funnier. And you can see the barbecue, but. Yeah, Hell's Barbecue. That's you know, yeah. but um, and then there was this this big upside down cross that they had laying around too. And so the deal was, let's light it on fire. Yeah, fire, good. Yeah, fire. Mm. So we did that. And then Mike Suss, we uh, he led his drumsticks on fire, and um, uh, basically, and and they didn't like the background of the shot of Basera for some reason, um, because it looked like somebody's backyard, which it was. So there was like all these, there was like a grassy hillside in the backyard. They went to white out. And widen out the background. You can tell it's wide out in the picture too, right? Wow. And uh, yeah, um, there was there was some, some uh, website that had a chat room, and all people were talking about was the photos on the back of seven churches and how the photos just they made it look so evil and and killer. It was like uh, all these like European death metal bands said that was like a big influence, like Emperor and all these bands like that. Uh, yeah, they loved that shit. And uh, it was a trip because in the Bay Area, uh, to be totally honest. In the Bay Area, they weren't really that big of a deal here. Um, I mean, just another metal band. But uh, I did a tour with them in Slayer, and they went up to Sacramento and, uh, oh, my God. They went up to Sacramento and uh, Portland and Seattle uh, on, uh, I think it was Hello Eights tour or something like mm -hmm. that. But oh, And they were they were treated like gods up there. You know, It was like completely different vibe in the Bay Area. You know? Late, and, mm, maybe. Uh, of maybe course, they, they, you know, they coined the death metal thing, too, you know, so. Late 1984. Yeah. That was a good one. That was one of my funnest ones, I think, ever. Well, Wasted you know, out of our skulls. <laughs> I've, I've always said that, you know, never underestimate the power of a good band name or good album art, because there's been a lot of things that are here in my collection that I bought just for those reasons. And, you right. know. Not all of them were home runs, but I, I spent my money and I brought it home because the photos were badass or the artwork was badass or the band just yep. had a great name or whatever. A lot of people said that about Maiden. They bought like, you know, the first Maiden album just based on the artwork and the pictures of the band, you know? Yeah. That's a perfect example, I think, you know? So what, what are you, that, I mean, that obviously was a great story behind that, but what, what for you personally were your most memorable photo shoots? You, you take a lot of live photos and I know that's very spontaneous, but right, as, far right. as, as far as staged photo shoots with, with bands, what were the most, you know, couple of the most memorable for you? Um, well, we did this uh, with uh, James Hefeland and Kirk uh, Metallica. Uh, we were like bored some afternoon. We we're just sitting around drinking beers. And we're all, let's go do some photos, you know, for what, what the fuck. It's totally nothing planned. So we went over to Kirk's mom's house. We had been at the Metallica house drinking all afternoon, whatever. And they brought all their guitars over there. And we got even more drunk. Uh, lots of drinking going on back there. Tons of drinking. <laughs> Sounds like it. Total excess. I mean, I can't even believe that we're here talking about it, you know. Right. <laughs> but uh, it was just a spontaneous photo shoot. They went up to Kirk's bedroom. And they laid all the guitars out on the bed, and they just got in the bed with all their guitars. And it was just spontaneous. It was weird. And um, they, like, started smoking cigarettes. We thought it'd be funny if they were in bed smoking cigarettes, you know? Yeah. yeah. you always have a smoke after sex. Oh, yeah. we'd laugh so fucking hard. And that's one of my mo most memorable shoots with them. And then uh, the next day, I was so hungover, I, I 
lost, I missed work for the, for the third time or whatever. And I ended up getting fired from my job. I think a PGD for that, but it was totally worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> um, and, uh, as far as the live stuff goes, uh, there was a show, uh, possessed in, in LA with DRI, no mercy with Mike Muir anthrax corrosion of conformity at the Olympic auditorium, the big wrestling ring down there. Wow. And as I was taking photos of possessed the entire barricade slid forward and I got pinned between the barricade and the stage. Um, uh, I probably would have been killed if I hadn't gotten uh, up on stage and my leg was still down there. My leg got trapped between the crowd and the audience while possessed were on stage. And I totally got my leg crunched. Cool. And um, on the second or third possessed album, they thank me as Harold Osteoporosis O. <laughs> and, you know, osteoporosis <laughs> is like a bone disease and stuff. And yeah. so uh, that was kind of a wild thing. And uh, to, um, weird story, I write about it in the book. We had gone to this in-store, uh, possessed in an in-store down in L.A., in this tiny little record shop, Heavy Metal Store. I can't remember what it was called. But the owner of the club had given me, Jeff Becerra, and Mike Toreo um, these pentagram necklaces as a gift. And everybody that had one of those necklaces had horrible stuff happen to them that day. Uh, I've, heard about, like, I've right. heard about this story. This story has yes. a little bit of lore and legend to it. I've read it's about someone, this Yeah, somewhere. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it I mean, might, it's weird. It's because, in the book. That's right. That's what exactly, it is. It's exactly. In the book. Right. But um, it was just kind of weird because no, nobody else had anything go wrong. But so I broke my leg. Um, Jeff Becerra got his ass kicked by some suicidal guys. They got their set cut short by 15 minutes. They only got to play like 25 minutes, something like that. Toreo's amp went out on him when they first came on. Um, on the way to the hospital, the ambulance had a flat tire. And then the other ambulance that came to pick me up to bring me to the hospital after that, they their engine problem, they went out or something like that. I mean, it was just crazy. Everything that could go wrong. And here I'm going into shock in my leg. I had a total, uh, you know, fracture of my kneecap and stuff. And here I'm going into shock. It was just crazy. So the second we got to the hotel, Debbie uh, urged me to get rid of the pentagram necklace. And I threw it out the window. And in my mind, it's like, I look at it like a Twilight Zone episode that I was the star of. You know, I was the guy that, that was going through this hellish thing. You know, it's like, and um, so for the longest time, whenever I heard possessed, my knees would start to kind of ache, you know. And uh, uh, I try. I actually won a lawsuit. I got a two hundred fifty thousand dollars settlement against the promoters of the club for being uh, negligent because wow. the barricade was totally rickety. And uh, luckily, I had a photo pass. So if I didn't have the photo pass, they could say, "Oh, I wasn't supposed to be in there." You know, who the hell is this guy? Right. Yeah, no, it and was. I was going to use that yeah. in court, and um, turned out one of the guys split the country, and the other guy declared bankruptcy. So wow, you know, wow. So yeah, so that was kind of a bummer, you know. Wow. So you mentioned uh, Jeff Becerra, and uh, oh, yeah. most people probably know. You know, he was he was involved in a really tragic incident that left him paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, but recently, he's been in recent years he's been back on stage, uh, albeit in a in a wheelchair. But I, right. I saw recently that he's actually taken his first steps in about thirty years. That's what um, I heard. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you, do you still That's... hang out and talk to him or do you, do you have any yeah. connection with him that you could? So, so what's, what's, let's have an update on Jeff from you as, as someone who's close to him. Yeah. Jeff, um, he's just had a rough life. I mean, uh, um, when he was paralyzed in the wheelchair, it basically his music career was over at that point. And, uh, um, we didn't really keep in touch where, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't in the music scene whatsoever, you know, for the longest time. But then he started getting, you know, started getting, uh, he did, he started this, uh, it's like a, uh, like a motorcycle club is NYDM, New York, De New York death metal, I think it is. And, um, 
he started this thing where he was like the president of this this club, and there's all these chapters all over the states and stuff, all over the all over the world, I think. And um, so he kept in touch with the metal scene for that, but then um, he kind of got the itch to start singing again. And uh, possessed, they I tried to reform once or twice before. We called him repossessed, yeah. as uh, Mike <laughs> Toreo and uh, actually DRI drummer Walter Monster Ryan played in an early lineup of that, and that kind of fizzled out. But uh, he always wanted to revive the band. And then he found these, this other band. Uh, I can't remember what they were called, but he kind of, it's almost like a Richie Blackmore of the first Rainbow. He kind of stole the other band and just got rid of the uh, got rid of the guitar player. Uh, yeah. I think that's what Jeff kind of did with uh, Possessed. He stole the band and just got rid of the singer or something like that. <laughs> I heard, yeah, I, I heard about that. I even think that they came through Texas and this, this was some time ago, I think, but... Right. It was it was him in the chair, but he had what it was is there was an opening band that had a right. singer, and then the singer would leave and Jeff would come out and they would be possessed. Oh, right. Yeah, that kind of a. And yeah. I've seen Paul Diano has done that too, and there's been a bunch of a bunch of bands do that where there's just same band for three hours and changing singers, right? Right, right. No, he, he's, all all on one bus, you know, only one band with three singers on a bus, you know. Well, of course, of a, they do that in South America a lot, but. But no, uh, Jeff. Jeff, great. He's doing great. I couldn't believe that I heard that he walked again. Yeah, and that's just yeah. amazing. I'm. He's 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 a great guy. I mean, uh, to be honest, back in the day, um, I, I thought he was kind of like a, a troublemaker. He was like kind of a. Te- I used to call him a teenage version of Paul Bailoff, because yeah. he would always kind of stir yeah. shit up back then. But um, he's changed a lot as a person. I mean, he's the greatest guy, and we get along really good now. Um, they opened up for Mr. Bungle, uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago at the Warfield. Wow. And um. I had the Satan mask and I introduced them. I went out on stage and introduced them and I did a photo shoot with them. But uh, Jeff's great. We totally reconnected again. Um, and that new record's fucking ripping, man. The new Possessed is really good. Yeah. Uh, I think it's bad, much better than the old Possessed. There's a couple of riffs on the first Possessed record that I always used to think it sounded like they were making a mistake. But that's the way the song goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's they're getting technical on you. Yeah. 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 Too yeah. technical. Yeah. Well, that's I'm glad I was glad to hear that that Jeff is uh, is walking and and hopefully yeah, that's that, amazing that'd like be, a miracle man yeah that it'd is. be great if that's a permanent thing and maybe he's back on his feet on stage someday you yeah, know in, exactly in due it's a satanic time. miracle yes <laughs> hail, hail Satan yeah, and, maybe and, he finally got rid of that pentagram necklace or something I don't know yeah. <laughs> and all of his doctors. Because yeah, obviously yeah. he didn't give up any, any, I guess he, I, I think I saw something that he had a few operations fairly recently that were right, right. helping him, you know, get to where he is now. And that's, that's just, I mean, thank God. Yeah, that's great. I, I love it that he's a metal head because it just shows he had, obviously he had some perseverance. I mean, sure. He was probably really upset and pissed off and went through a lot of sort of grieving stages type of a thing, but. Oh yeah. God damn it. He's that's power. I could, that's, I that's can't power. even imagine, you know? Yeah, yeah. Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. So, so let me ask you as someone who was uh, taking all these photos back in the day, do you have enough left over for book number two, three, four, five? Yeah. Um, I, I actually want to start a, a murder in the front row library with different volumes. Um, we were talking about, um, this is still kind of early, way early stages. Hold, but, hold uh, on a second. When you say sure. we let, let's, let's get the whole crew, Brian Lou and there's a Brian couple Lou, other yep. folks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, uh, Brian Liu was um, one of Metallica's probably first semi-official photographer, and uh, okay. um, 
I'd known him since uh, we were teenagers. We both grew up in this uh, suburb called Sunnyvale, just by chance. And uh, we would always commute to shows together. We we uh, take we met at I think a wine tea show, and we yeah. we we would take photos at all the local bands and stuff. And uh, he's he's raging about this band called Metallica, this new band from L.A. And uh, uh, he totally introduced me to the guys and to the band, and we got in on the ground level pretty much. You know, he's got the He's got even the earlier stuff when Mustaine was in the band with Ron McGovern, even yeah. and the Mustaine uh, Cliff Burton lineup, which only lasted about six months. So I'm sorry and, that that Brian, Brian's not from L.A. though. No, 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 no. He lives okay. here in the Bay Area. Okay. But right. um, um, uh, he met them before I did, and right. got to know them, and, and he was he was crucial in introducing me to them. You know. So okay, but but this is pre-Cliff. Correct. Yeah. He met them when they first came up to the Bay Area. They played that Metal Mondays and stuff. Okay. Amazing. And he, 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 he hit it off of them really well and stuff, you know, but awesome. uh, he documented, he's, he's amazing. He's like a human encyclopedia. I mean, you can ask him what date, what date did Metallica play the stone on the uh, Rise of Lightning tour? He'll June 30, you know, night. he's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he would, so the he, first would he would be another so guy. Book, he would be another guy. He would be another guy that we would love to nerd out with. So yeah, you just, should, you should just, just plant I'll, I'll the seed. contact information for him. Yeah, He'd that'd be a great be, interview too. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm, I'm Make glad. sure it's, Make sure it's okay with him that we contact him. No, I'm, oh, I'm no, glad, he's, he's, he's totally down. He's, I'm he's glad cool. Jason brought him up because I have his name on my list here in front of me. Yeah. So just to to give credit where credit is due, Brian is your oh, yeah. partner in, in, in this book, Murder in the Front Row, and you guys basically worked together and combined your photos, and, and that's what gave us the book. So, And uh, Ian, Ian, Ian Christie, um, the publisher, he's got a company called Bazillion Points, um, he's the one to put it all together. He he pretty much laid it all out to the art direction. He's the one that suggested me and Brian combine our efforts, which is was this brilliant idea because because uh, yes. Brian um, Brian's got photos up to a certain point. Uh, when Cliff passed away, uh, that was kind of it for Brian. He'd kind of that was kind of like the uh, straw that broke the camel's back as far as being into the scene, and he kind of drifted away from stuff after that happened because he was just he was all kind of jaded about that, you know. And, um, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. Well, but, but um, I, but you, you, you can understand why we can all oh, for sure, for sympathize. Sure. Without a doubt, or, without a doubt. I mean, I don't or, blame him, you know? Yeah, of course. But not. I kind of kept going, you know? Yeah. But it so, took about two years from start to finish. Um, Ian came down from, uh, uh, or came out from New York and we, we got together in a, in a, this room and scanned a bunch of negatives on some high resolution scanner and, and we had a blast. And it was like, he considered like the seven churches photo shoot to be cool too. And he freaked out when he saw the, my original negative envelope that said possess seven churches on it. These are, this is the envelope that contains the negatives from that album and stuff, you know, but um, he's, he's great. He's a great guy. He puts out a bunch of other great books too. He did the Tom warrior, big Celtic frost history book and a bunch of stuff. And he's, he's a, he's, he's a funny guy. I mean, the picture of Lars doing Coke in the book, right? He came yeah. up with the captain for that. Um, it says metallic uh, secrets revealed. Uh, James and Lars have matching yellow toothbrushes. And sure enough, you look, and in the picture, there's two yellow toothbrushes. The joke was, how do they know which one is which, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and this is a picture of Lars doing blow. It doesn't say anything about doing a big pile of blow, but right. I thought that was just, like, brilliant. And You're putting so there's the a picture of Dave Lombardo at a DRI show up front singing into the mic with Kurt. And it said, uh, he, uh, Ian came up with, this This could be the moment when Crossover was born, which I thought was a wow. great caption, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Yes. I know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, he I know. Put it I, out. 
I know his name well because I'm a, I, I read all, you know, I'm a writer myself and I, right. I collect all these books and his name is always at the top of the list with all the great books and the great bands and all that. Yeah, stuff. he's an awesome guy. He's, he's a great hang too. He's, he's just, a, I mean, and, and as far as like uh, him taking care of us and, you know, the, the, um, the accounting for all the book and money stuff, he's just like honest to it. He's almost too honest, you know? Wow. So, I mean, like I said, we've done really well off that and, uh, uh, he's just a great all-around guy to work with, you know. Amazing. So that could have really gone cool that, that could have gone south for such a beautiful product, you know. Yeah. Like, it could have. He, he could have just kept, you know, he could have been skimming the top the whole time. But obviously, uh, you have a great relationship with. Oh yeah, he, he's amazing. He's fellow, and, and he, he did a lot of the art design head. and stuff too, you know. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So let, let's go back even farther. So when you're a kid and you're discovering rock and roll for the first time, mm -hmm. um, what what show would you say was your first thrash show? Like wh when when did you what show elevated beyond just rock and roll or hard rock and was good, good for thrash? Um, I'd say probably Judas Priest on the British Steel Tour. Yes. Um, I was shrooming my brains out. And it's the first time I ever saw people headbanging at a show. It was at the Warfield Theater, a tiny little place, British Steel Tour. Alfred came out with a machine gun at the end of Genocides. It's the fire stuff. I was tripping. I was tripping balls. And uh, I'm all, what the fuck are these people doing? These guys are headbanging and stuff. And uh, they were so killer and heavy. Alfred would come out and he would sing so high. It's like it would make him go cross-eyed. He would be like, ah! And uh, uh, that was probably the heaviest show I'd seen up to that point. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. These people headbanging and stuff. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? You know? Yeah. Uh, they were spectacular on that tour, you know? And then, and the heaviest fuse, ever. And the fuse was lit. There you go. No turbo lover that night. Put it that way. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. In Halford's book, I, 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 I hate to like to put it, you know, to hold the, the bummer album. Turbo is not really my, I mean, obviously, it's the kicking dog for you, too. But right. um, in Halford's book, he says, uh, and this just gave me another reason to, to even kick it again. I mean, I can listen to anything with Halford singing on it. Even, oh, his, yeah. even his worst moment, I can still listen to Halford because his voice is, uh, shall, I, shall I say, just beautiful. So his, his, uh, his book, which I completely fell in love with. And I went through all these mixed emotions as I read through his book with, I, here. I, it's like I was with him holding his hand the whole time. Totally. And, and it was very, very trippy. And, and, you know, there's some dark places and some really uncomfortable places and what, what have you. But at the same time, time. When, he, when he talks about turbo, he was in rehab. He was really struggling. He was a coke addict. He was an alcoholic and all this shit. And he couldn't be himself anywhere he went. So he's right. his in, internal demons just completely destroying his soul. And here he is in the studio recording Turbo Lover. He didn't have his beloved thesaurus. And right. he, he thinks his lyrics are crap because of that, but with right. all of the other crap that I just threw up in, on the table there. So Turbo Lover has all the points against it that no one knows about till they read uh, Rob's words in that chapter right. in his book. Oh, it kind of I makes love, a little more sense, love, right? Yeah, I love yeah. Turbo Lover, and all these people love the record. And I'm going, man, something's gone awry here, and I, it's my, it's my spider senses that are telling me this is not the record. This is not right. the priest record, and people fucking love it. All my friends love that record, and that's great. But something's not right about it. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. Something was off. They, were, they did a cover of like Johnny Be Good or something like that too. For that, did it for like, a movie. Honest. Yeah, they did it that for was a movie. On Ram it down. I yeah. think was it. Yeah. Yeah, you might yeah. you might be right. You might be right. That's that's after that. So, but it is horrible. You're right about. Uh, it. Rob Rob came to a DRI show <laughs> in Arizona damn. one time, and uh, they did really? a photo with the. They did a photo with DRI and Rob Halford together, and he gave me one of his business cards, and wow. it says Rob Halford. The metal god, it says on the business card itself. Oh, and I'm I said, so that was jealous. So cool, I'm so oh, jealous. God, awesome. I, I, I'm, during, hanging, during, I'm hanging up right now, man. <laughs> god damn it. it was great. During DRI's set, I kept on grabbing the microphone going, Are you high? Yeah, thank you very much indeed. And I was doing all these like stage raps, and the DRI guys were going, Shut up, man. You're embarrassing us. And it's like, uh, I, I fucking had a field day, man. I, I couldn't help myself, you know? Right. Well, I hope he was a good sport about your he was. your craziness. Oh, that's awesome. Um, which brings me to one other point here. Um, you know, Overkill from New York, right? Yes. Yeah. Jersey they're cool guys. Um, I think they're cool. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit overrated with some people. Um, they're not my cup of tea, but they're great guys. DRI's done a bunch of shows with them, and uh, um, they had that song "Hello from the Gutter," right? Hello yes. from the gutter. Yeah. And um, as a joke, me and my friends used to always say. Would you please pass the butter? Oh. And um, so uh, we played the seventy thousand tons cruise uh, on on one of the uh, one of the excursions there, and Overkill happened to be on the same bill that uh, uh, as that time. And so, totally random occurrence, um, we go into the go into the, the, the kitchen to get some food, and here's Bobby Blitz sit down for breakfast. You know, so I go, oh my god, here's the perfect opportunity to like. Uh, me being the kind of fool that I am, I already know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I sit down at the table next to him. I, I've known him a while. He's like, he's, he's a cool guy. We're 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 acquaintances, you know. And um, he's talking. He's really involved in talking to some other guy about who knows what, you know. And so finally, I kind of interrupt him. I go, Bobby, what's up, man? This is Harold. How you been? Shake his hand. Sit across the table. Um, I go, can you just do me one favor? He's all, what's that? I go, would you please pass the bottle? And oh. he looks at me, I kind of interrupted this conversation. He looks at me and he didn't say a word and just went back right into the conversation. And oh, just no. me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I thought it was fucking classic. You know? <laughs> I, I don't think that they they've got a great sense of humor, but I guess not when it's about their, their own thing, you know? So, <laughs> wow. That's I don't think. Yeah. You caught but my mouse got me in trouble other times too, you know? Uh, well, I just briefly had a big blow up with Sean Killian about some violence. Did you know about that stuff? Yes. Yeah, I saw. I, yeah. I saw that. We, yeah. we. I think the world saw that. I mean, <laughs> let let's let let's don't dwell on that because I know that it got you in some hot water, and then ultimately you you called Rob, and it was fine. And yeah, it's it's all good now. But yeah, so. that's that's cool. But I but, but, uh, I, but, yeah. but I understand. But I understand how uh, something you you. A person like yourself, and we don't, you know, just to be clear with it, with our listeners here, I, I still, even if I, I, I'm apologize that in on October 6, nineteen eighty six, that I do not recall meeting you. I wish I remembered meeting you. It must have just been in passing. I remember meeting Paul Bailoff. Yeah, yeah, like, that's cool. Oh. You actually remember the date you were out here, though, right? That's pretty impressive. That's oh, like Brian oh, Lou information. Oh. Definitely, I definitely remember the dates that I was that I was in the Bay Area because the of the obvious scenery behind me and the kind of person that I am. So, um, the and you guys have become this fucking cult band now, kind of right? In a way, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I that's I, fucking awesome, dude. 
Yeah, yeah. To, to be part. Well, you you could say the same about you with DRI. That's amazing. It's a yeah, it's the Black to a certain extent, right? Yeah, who who yeah. knew? It's crazy. So so the the point that I was gonna make with your your Bobby Blitz story about how he just <laughs> basically like turned you off and went right back and wasn't going to laugh at your <laughs> obviously you were just be, having fun, right? Oh yeah, of course. Always but, and he probably wasn't ready to have fun. Maybe it was too early in the morning. It might have been, yeah. I, I, I personally am a huge fan of Bobby Blitz, and I think that he's done some incredible things for heavy metal. But at the same totally. time— Totally. Great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best yeah. guy ever. Yeah, awesome. But but let's talk about Harold O. being the guy that steps in the shit and walks through the room, and you know that it's you with dog shit on your foot and people are going man who's doing that and you did it on purpose to get a laugh <laughs> that's that i mean i i don't know you but i see you as this uh like you know you're very stream of consciousness and open-minded and very uh young at heart to be uh right on. and yeah, I, i've never and grown I, up i love that about you i just <laughs> want to say that just i love that about you that you're just easygoing heraldo and you are what you are and the good, the bad, and the ugly, whatever has transpired after you fumigate the room with your your words, your smells, <laughs> your 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 masterpiece uh, collection of photographs of the the mighty Bay Area scene from top to bottom. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah, dude. It's well deserved. I, my, my hat's off. I mean, it, yeah. just be, just continue being yourself, even if you get in a little bit of trouble. Just keep being Harold, though. I, I wouldn't change a fucking thing, man. Don't do it. As long as you know when you have sort of like rubbed someone the wrong way, you can turn around and go, "Whoops, dude, I'm sorry. I wear my exactly. shit. I wear my shit on my sleeve. I apologize. You know, big time. Literally, wear my shit on my sleeve. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're from a Gigi uh, Allen show. <laughs> he, he gets so, a new meaning to the term the shit hits the fans right right yeah right yeah right. so you're where you're literally wearing your your shit on your shoe yeah. <laughs> yeah and you're that kind of guy and i'm i think that the people that you've per se grown up with they know that about you and but i think that people get get heated up about certain uh, things too quick yeah, for, sure. for Harold o, for for Harold O to realize when you when you uh, sort of like uh, let your stream of consciousness go right right and I think that, yeah, yeah. that I think that people like you just have a giant heart and a giant mouth yeah you're right and it's fine <laughs> and it's fine Harold it's fine it's totally fine I appreciate that no that, that, that that's me in a nutshell dude you nailed it right there I, I just want everyone to know the one of the biggest reasons that I wanted you on here is because I've I've been hearing about you since I was about 19 years old right right <laughs> now when I I want to play the drop you know let's switch gears just for fun so sure it's going to be more of the same shit but right when I say kill them all, what do you shed tears? Does your heart beat faster? What happens when I say kill them all? Uh, it just brings me back to a different headspace when uh, thrash really didn't exist. And that was like the blueprint kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'd heard the demo, um, you know, for a while with Mustaine. And then Kirk came in and kind of made it, you know, did some of the similar stuff. But uh, I think kill them all, I think like this, just like teenage youth. Silly lyrics, you know, bang your head, your head banging lyrics, and uh, yeah. 
I just think of a golden time when like we didn't really have much responsibilities, you know, and uh, they were like a very they were like our band, you know what I mean? Yeah, they were like our bro brother band. And when they went started getting big and going you know around the world and stuff, um, got kind of I didn't I didn't like that. It's because I didn't want to share them with the rest of the world, you know. I, I they were like one Bay Area thing that was so heavy. I totally understand that. I get yeah, that one hundred percent. They belong and the to naivety. Yeah. The naivete of like youth, you know, just, just comes through on that. And plus yeah. the photo on the back, they're all got acne and stuff. You know, it's yeah. like uh, somebody called them the ugliest band ever. That photo is, it doesn't do them really that <laughs> good justice on the back. But uh, yeah, yeah. It just brings me back to the, the birth of the scene and how exciting it was. You know, it was so I mean, exciting because there was nobody that played music like that back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so would you, it would be completely safe to say, and I just feel like I'm, talking about shit the whole world already fucking knows but you know i feel like because it's talked about in the book in many occasions murder and murder in the front row is what what i'm pertaining to um you know all the bands who saw metallica play the stone you know that one that first time uh you know cliff's first show or whatever it was uh, or shit, even with Ron at, like you say, Metal Mondays or whatever. Yep. I, I feel like there was a lot of people, like the Death Angel guys, the Legacy guys that ended up becoming Testament, that, you know, uh, Eric Lannon and all his crew from Morgan oh, yeah. yep. and just all those guys, and, and more and more and more who saw that show or those two shows in particular. It made them go, oh, well, I want to go farm a band or it made them go, Oh, I'm going to go home and call my guys and we're going to write some faster songs. Oh yeah. Or Definitely. you decided to quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe not. I, you know what, Dave, I, I'm going to call out and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say no one quit. Yeah. That started a rumble. That started. Oh, yeah. It a totally whole did eruption yeah, of, of things and yeah. exodus too i think exodus needs yeah. to get some credit there they were more yes. of the heart of the bayer scene when metallica yes. started going over to europe and stuff exodus was always here and seemed like any given night you could see them playing at ruthie's and you know possessed for five bucks and um um that's of course where the title came from yeah and uh um, oh, I, I know the song well yeah yeah we've actually talked about doing a second book um adam dubin the guy that directed our the documentary yes um, he he did so many hours and hours of interviews with everybody that never got used. So uh, we were thinking of maybe doing like an oral history of Bay Area thrash and take all of the interviews that weren't used in the movie and do another book with all that stuff printed in there. Yeah. And uh, I think Ian was the one that came up with it. So Murder in the Front Row, the next line of the song would be Crowd Begins to Bang. And the next line of after that is we're going to put dot, 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 and there's blood upon the stage. So that's yeah. what we're thinking of calling the book part two because that's almost the next line in that in that song you know so yeah perfect but uh yeah uh we've perfect. talked about doing it it's just it's it's a lot of fucking work man <laughs> it's like, yeah. well yeah 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 especially to do it right because right, exactly, you know exactly. it's, it's i mean the editing and everything in this people aren't you know a, i'm i sound like i'm talking shit about metalheads but and i shouldn't because nor it's very normal to find that metalheads are highly intelligent hyper intelligent people oh for sure with giant I mean, look hearts. at us right i mean look at us right <laughs> <laughs> i mean we're like 
I have an IQ of like below below average, right? So we're way up there. I, I can. If you I combine can, all three I, of us, I can relate. If you combine all three of us, we, we get could start a daycare. third graders. Yeah, yeah, we could start a daycare for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I um, have. Uh, there, go this ahead, wasn't Dave. on my radar, but um, but Harold will appreciate this. Uh, being a, a chronicler of the the Bay Area, I don't know if you can see. Over here in this black frame in my background, right above the Aerosmith poster, mm -hmm. there's a white sheet of paper. That is a handwritten note from Cliff Burton's mom thanking me personally for sending my condolences to her wow. and Mr. Burton when Cliff passed away. How it's cool like, is that? It's one of my yeah. prized possessions. That's awesome. She was, yeah. a, she was the nicest person you could ever want to meet, man. She was just so nice. And when that yeah. happened to them, oh, I just, I just like, I was, the, I felt so bad for them. And then uh, on top of that, they had lost another son before that. Uh, right. Chris' brother passed away. It's just, oh, it's like, that was a pretty heavy time going on there in the scene. And um, it was a trip because nobody in the Bay Area, we were all so young, nobody had really ever known, dealt with death before, you know, it never crossed our radar. Yeah. And we thought we were like invincible, you know, we could jump off PA stacks, no problem, do, you know, whatever, you know. And, yeah. um, that was a big wake-up call. And, like, you know, Brian basically got all – that was enough to make him, yeah. you know, bail on the scene. And, and poor uh, Kareen Lynn, his, his girlfriend at the time, oh, talk about devastating, you know. Things were going yeah. so great for them, too. They were on this upward trajectory. Yeah. Um, I did this interview with Cliff once. I go, so where do you think you'll be in a couple of years? Are you going to be up there with the priests and the maidens and stuff like that? And he says he tries not to think about it because then if it doesn't happen, he won't be disappointed and stuff like that. But Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. such an awesome guy. His parents were so nice. The nice and Ray, Ray, uh, he kind of went on to become like a heavy metal ambassador. Yeah, representing That's... Cliff and stuff. And uh, yeah. I got to know him really good the like last few years and stuff. He's got to be like the coolest, most genuine, nicest guy you could ever fucking meet. You know, and it was yeah. so sad when he passed away. Um, right before that, we did a, a panel at uh, Metallica. Did a couple of uh, symphony shows out here. Yeah, and in between the two shows, they had a thing called the Day Between, and a bunch of Metallica fans got together and uh, uh, had like a party. And so me, Ray Burton, and Mike Borden, we were on a panel and wow. did a Q and A thing. It was really cool. But uh, oh yeah, and uh, and uh, Ray's caretaker was uh, Casey, uh, Casey Ramirez, and she she's awesome too. She's like making sure that Cliff's legacy is uh, is taken care of and respect respectfully taken care of and all that stuff because. I mean, it's really weird when somebody passes away like that and uh, you start seeing like vultures kind of come in and try to like make money off of the name and stuff. And we want to make sure that shit didn't happen, you know, make sure. That's interesting. Like, that's, see, that's, that's something yeah. that I am a little, I'm, 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 I don't seem like I'm acting surprised, but because you're, that your last statement is, is true. But when you think about Cliff becoming, whether he wanted to be or not, he was, quickly becoming this living legend. Uh, and then he passed away. So when you right. think about the release, you think about the summer of 83, three years later, Cliff is gone. Yeah. I know. It wasn't very long, was it? Yeah. No, it, it was a snap. It was yeah. a bang. He was, he was responsible for a lot of their, I mean, yeah. their success and stuff. And he, yeah. as far as in the band goes, his, his role in the band was um, kind of like the elder statesman. He was a couple years older than them. Yeah. And um, they would always kind of go look to him for uh, guidance stuff. If there was like uh, some stupid thing they were arguing about, Cliff would set him straight and say, this, this is bullshit. 
And he was so honest, brutally honest about stuff. If something bugged him, he'd tell you it bugged him, you know. He never held anything back. And that was one of his yeah. best qualities. And uh um so sad when he passed away because he was the only guy that like smoked, you know, we we smoked herb and mm-hmm. he was the guy I could kind of relate with the most. And he was yeah. just like an old he was like a just like a a hometown guy, you know, and uh, he hated to be called a rock star too. He hated that. Well, that's he what himself, he was a musician. He wasn't a rock star, you know. Yeah, that's so, what I'm. T- that's yeah. what I'm talking about. I feel like there was, he was carrying a lot of uh, like people were. I don't want to call it pressure, but he yeah. was, he was looked he was looked upon as this like you know ah uh, as this, and he probably hated that because he was just a dude. I'm just a dude. Yeah, and I don't. Really, I'm not sure if I believe in reincarnation or not. But if if there is such a thing, Cliff uh, Cliff was wise beyond his years. He, if there is reincarnation, Cliff had many many lives before this, and that's what made him such a uh, like a wise kind of soul. And uh, yeah, um, he he just like I don't know. It's like the thing with the bell bottoms and stuff. He he didn't give a fuck what anybody thought about him. You know, if he thought it was cool, it was cool. And uh, he he was just fucking greatest guy ever. You know. He used to call me up to get like shrooms or acid because they used to go up and do these jams up in the city, uh, this place called Maxwell. Okay. I mean, like Jimmy Martin Faithamore. There would be like no power. They'd have a generator. They'd take tons of shrooms and acid, just get wasted. They would jam for like 10 hours straight. And um, that's where they ended up uh, scattering his ashes, too. But uh, yeah, that was a huge deal when that happened, man. And it's like, I think about him every fucking day, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, it's hard not to if you if you are who we all are here, as well as a lot of our listeners here as well. Big time. And and uh, one one last thing on Cliff. Um, I had a dream about six months ago where he was he was around. He was alive again, and it was so weird because it was like everybody kind of knew something had happened, but nobody really questioned it. We were so happy to have him back, and it was yeah. so awesome because it was just like hanging out with him again. And um, I kind of woke up quickly. And, you know, when you have a dream and you wake up in the middle of it, you remember a lot more of it. But yeah. oh, it's like it was so amazing. And it, it was just like hanging out with Cliff again. It was just so great. I was almost like crying afterwards. And um, I'll never forget it. I told uh, Cliff loved Black Sabbath, right? That was like probably his favorite band of all time. Yeah. I told him that since he had been gone, they had just put out another album with Ozzy. Ozzy returned to Sabbath. He's all, Ozzy's back at Sabbath? Wow. And I go, you got to hear the new record. So. I was going to make him a copy of the new Sabbath album. He couldn't wait to hear it. You know, it was just, it was really freaky, man. But wow. uh, it was just like hanging out with him again. And James said the same thing that he, uh, he dreams about Cliff all the time. And it, whatever he does, it's just like, makes him feel good. I mean, it makes him feel better about everything that, that, you know, like if there is, I don't know, I don't, I'm not that religious of a person, but uh, it was just like hanging out with him again. It was fucking yeah. spectacular. Yeah. So, really cool. Do that you feel reconnection, you, feel, you know, kind yes. of sort of re, you, you, you get a chance to reconnect and sort of uh, it might it's probably healing in some ways, you know. Oh, it totally is. Totally. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel better about the whole thing, you know, it's a, but it was so great because when I woke up, it was just like I had hung out with Cliff again. It was like it was like it was like the spirit spoke to me or something. It was really trippy, you know, but but uh, yeah, I was fucking that was huge for me, you know. Wow. But he couldn't wait to hear the new Sabbath album. It's like, they got that <laughs> together. It was so weird because, like, everybody kind of knew something had happened, but nobody questioned that he was back. We were just so happy to have him back again. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And he yeah. was such a great fucking guy, man. I can't roar enough about that. So, yeah. so it's interesting to me that that. that that Kirk Hammond is the is really the only true Bay Area guy in Metallica. That's true. And it it's... Uh, it's been 
very interesting to me to find out just over time that like Kirk and Marco Sagata and 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 Cliff and uh, the Faith No More guys and they like I mean I see them in like middle school together and shit you know just in my head I'm going right These are just dudes that are just from the hood you know and uh, and it's it's definitely family and I feel like in the movie the Murder in the Front Row Doc that Kirk no wonder Kirk has a lot more FaceTime than seemingly to me than some others because of it right and i know that they were leaning in on that and come to think of it i know that i'm right because i seem to remember kirk having a lot of like airtime in the film because he's the bay area guy but yeah, he actually asked he actually asked them for more time to be he he put i guess they had like an hour hour and a half set aside for him but when they did the interview he said he wanted to talk more and he did and uh but he had some great stuff in there and uh yeah uh, between Exodus and, and Metallica, I mean, he was like this pivotal. It's like Gary Holt with the Slayer thing, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. Like um, all points lead to to Kirk or to Gary. It's it's, it's amazing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, Gary's one of those. I feel like Gary is one of those sort of like still quite unsung heroes. And and oh yeah, tr true metalheads know that when Jeff Hanneman uh, passes, that well, right. who are they going to get? Fucking Gary Holt. Who the hell do you think they're going to get? Yeah, that was the first person I thought of. Yeah, I mean, I mean, plus it's like you can see some of the photos. I got all these photos of them hanging out together. They were best buds, man. Him yeah. and Gary, Jeff and Gary, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Jeff was still alive when he first replaced him, so he totally approved of him a yeah, thousand percent. Of course. Yeah. Well, there was no audition. People don't think, you know, oh, are they going to have auditions? You know, they're already putting Jeff in the grave. You know. Yeah, they didn't miss a beat though with that. Oh, no. I mean, because no. they already knew him as buddies and. I think that's what a lot of the photos uh, come across in the book is that you can feel the camaraderie and the brotherhood in the photos, you know? Yes. And um, that's, I mean, it was competition between the bands and everything, but but not nothing to the point where it kind of like, uh, where somebody would fuck somebody over. And it was like, it was a healthy competition, you know, between yeah. the bands, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Metallica guys used to joke, um, used to joke about Slayer guys a lot. Um, we would do these fake mock interviews where I'd be interviewing James and he would pretend he's Kerry King. And he said, he's got this new thing he's working on called upside down pants. So and he wears them over his head and stuff. And, um, it was great. Uh, wow. I actually, I introduced the two bands the first time they met each other. I'm sure. The book I'm, sure Carrie, I'm sure Carrie loves that story. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you but, you uh, introduced so, the two of them for the first time. What's that? You you introduced Slayer and Metallica for the first time? Yeah, they'd actually played together, but they, they never really met. But the first time they ever met was at the Kabuki uh, Slayer, Venom, and Possessed, I think it was. Whoa. And um, I got Kirk and uh, Kirk, Kurt, Kirk Hammett and Kerry King together for the first time. And they, you know, they had a bunch of stuff in common. But and then we uh, got the other guys together. And if you look at the picture, there's one with the Hanneman and uh, James, everybody. He's standing above James and he's doing this thing with his hand. Looks like he wants to pop, hit, hit James in the head, kind of subliminal. And there's uh, there's even another one with him and Lars, where he he's basically just saying "fuck you" to him, and they don't even catch it because they were so wasted, you know. But right. little subliminal hints here and there, you know. Yeah. But it was healthy competition for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a bunch of pictures that I've seen of uh, Slayer guys, probably more uh, uh, Jeff than than Carrie kind of a thing. But wearing right. Killam All shirts, wearing Metallic shirt. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, of for course. Sure. That's there's no there's no, 
I feel like the competition is real, but there's no, there's not really any competition. I've no, exactly. Like I've seen, I've seen enough footage of Kerry King. I'm, I'm paraphrasing where he is actually saying these fantastic things about Metallica. Oh yeah, David Mustaine's guitar playing. He was blown away that he said he was always blown away that he never looked at the guitar neck and stuff. You know. Right. Yeah. And of course, he was in Megadeth for about a minute too. You know. Yeah, I recall. Yeah. I recall that. Uh, that was a trip, man. That was a trip. I bet. God, this some such fantastic uh, yeah. moments in in <clears throat> in metal that that sort of like um, circulate or have veins that lead back into uh, stem to the Bay Area. Uh, oh, for because, sure. Because I feel like I there was probably something. It's probably the book or you know an old metal mania uh, piece that I read that's stuck in my head back here from you know thirty years ago. Um, you know, about it, it's probably the book where Carrie was up all night with Dave and a bunch of people building like a stage set for the first time Megadeth was to play in the Bay Area. Right, right. You know about okay, good. So, yeah, yeah, with all the cabinets too. Yeah, yeah, all the Marshall so, cabinets. Yeah, because we have to be, you know, it, it here's that competition thing, whether that you know, that strife between Metallica and Mustaine was, was real or not. I'm, and I'm sure it was. Oh, that was you. That was, that was definitely, that was definitely yeah. pretty real. But, but I think that, but I, what I'm getting at really, I'm just trying to fluff it a little bit. What I'm getting at is that stage show was important because they had to be bigger and faster than Metallica. Oh yeah. Plus he said he tried to look as threatening as possible. So he put a bunch of bandoleros on with bullets. He had grenades yeah. and stuff on there. I remember those. He tried photos. to make make it look yeah. like as the most threatening as possible because because yeah. he he was confused out for blood man for the longest time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, in the yeah. in the end, I I'm really I'm really glad. I don't want to bring up some kind of monster uh, scenes, but right, right. You know the uh, even though I just fucking did. Uh, I I really don't want the competition to be like where it was. You know, hey, fuck you guys, because it's just childish as hell. You know, I say this a lot, and see, just, just, I'll just throw this around the room. I feel like when you've just climbed off of a U-Haul in a strange land in New York, when you're California dudes, and you drive all the way through the country, and you maybe never really been anywhere. Uh, right. Other than Lars, Lars seems well-read and traveler kid. Completely. You know? Yeah, yeah. But so when, you know, Lar I feel like Lars is is uh, someone we're sort of haven't haven't being talked about here where I could go off ab about Lars about how there'd be no Metallica if it wasn't for Lars. But let's do this. If you're in the truck, you're a teenager, you drive to New Jersey, New York or Rochester, New York, I believe. And then you I'm talking about Mustaine. Then you get kicked out of the band for whatever reason. It's not important right now. But because you're a teenager and the experiences you have with how how to treat another human being right. are very nil because you're a teenager. You're not an adult. You're not a kid, but you're not an adult. You're this freak right. of nature. You don't yep. really have these correct emotional values to be able to put in all the right places when you're going to totally when you're going to do something that's threatening or going to be emotionally crushing to someone or whatever because you don't really know how they're going to react. Hey, here's your Greyhound bus ticket. Right. Get up. Your bus leaves in an hour. I believe the lore and legend of the story go. That's setting things in motion. Mustaine being a teenager as well. Teenagers 
snickering in the I can only imagine I wasn't there and then the guys in anthrax showing you know Cliff outside going <clears throat> yeah Mustaine's on a bus what yeah we he's out Kirk's on on the way those stories there you're like what you know just being a fly on the wall that's crazy my point fast forward to the rivalry Mustaine Metallica it has to go away at some point because once you grow up into a, a human, a person, right. an adult, you, which I'm still waiting for that to happen. Uh, <laughs> Same here. You, you, right. You, you figure <laughs> out. <laughs> any minute now. I think uh, my clock you, stopped. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you figure out. Yeah. A lifetime of a broken watch. Yeah. So you guys hear what I'm saying. It's like, I'm glad that, at the anniversary show was at the the the, the Warfield, Fillmore, the Fillmore. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I'm gonna imagine you were there. I bet all of that stuff just goes away. Tell us about the Fillmore 30 anniversary. Yeah, that was spectacular. Um, one thing about Metallica is they really know how to pull out all the stops and they do things their own way and really unique stuff. But uh, like it was four days. They uh, they were gonna play every song that they ever wrote. Basically, I think they didn't repeat one song one night. They'd have like a marching band come out and do Seek and Destroy with them. They had all these amazing special guests. Um, basically, all the cover songs they did, somebody from the original band came and played the cover songs with them, like Ozzy and Geezer, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And um, uh, Merciful Fate reformed for that. Awesome. And uh, that was just spectacular. And uh, uh, I got to, I went two out of the four nights. Uh, the third and the fourth night, I actually had to go on tour with DRI. So I was able to see the first two, luckily. But the second night when they uh, Merciful Fate uh, reformed, they were so tight-lipped about it. It was so secretive that even a bunch of people I worked for Metallica didn't know about it. And they had to sneak King Diamond through the Chinese restaurant down below so nobody would see him. And up to the minute they Lars announced, announced him on stage, nobody knew they were going to fucking play until then. It was like, and then, wow, we got a special treat for you tonight. It was, it was, it was just amazing. And uh, they had Jim Brewer there, and they had like a game show with Metallica trivia. Uh, Jim Martin and a bunch of their old friends got up and talked and stuff, and uh, they covered up all the posters with pictures of themselves and stuff, and they basically took over the, the Fillmore for like four days. It was fucking incredible, man. Best ever. Do you wow. do you stay in touch with Jim Martin? Um, not so much. Um, I saw him at a party about uh, two or three weeks ago, and um, he's uh, pretty much out of music completely. He's he's uh, raising a family. Yeah, and. Um, he got back together with Infectious Grooves not that, probably a couple of years ago. He just popped up there every now and then. But uh, I was in a band with him for a minute or two, too, called Satan Love Puppets. It was like a joke, spastic children kind of band. And uh, mm. uh, Jim is a trip, man. I've never known anybody like him. His his playing is like, the only way I can describe his guitar playing is like sideways. And yeah. uh, he's a trip, man. He was like a Cliff Burton's best friend, basically. You know? yes. And... Uh, um, He's just a really interesting individual, you know, uh, the red glasses and the flying V and, and, yeah. uh, the same love puppet stuff was, was classic. It was just stupid. It was like dumb, like made the mentors look like, uh, you know, like math rock compared to that. But, uh, we did that <laughs> for about six months and, um, it was definitely a learning curve, you know, yeah. being in a band with him. The, re the reason I ask is because, you know, he, he, he's a much loved, but highly reclusive sort of guy. And right. yeah, I always thought he was of fucking, us that are he was outside fucking of, cool. Yeah, yeah. Those of us outside of, you know, the circle of 
friends that's probably this big, you know, have no idea what he's up to. Last I heard, he was a pumpkin farmer. And yep, he was and, doing that for a while. Yep, <clears throat> uh, he, he well, did he, a record. Uh, he played Milk and Blood too. Uh, that our drummer plays on. There's, I'm in a band called Jesus Crisis, and our drummer Joe great name played in a band with him. Uh, that Milk and Blood album, that solo record, he did pretty pretty good. And um, I probably could have been the bass player, but I stupidly introduced him to Ron Halser from Trouble. Yeah, he's a bass player too, and he ended up. Yeah. Uh, playing with him so that was a big mistake but uh yeah jim, jim was a classic guy man he's he, hilarious jim, jim played yeah. guitar on uh, i don't know if he was on every song but i think he played like a second guitar on a presidents of the united states of america album oh really wow yeah. what a trip yeah i see his name on there and i i, I don't know of any other jim martin and when i listen to the songs i'm going I could see that. that. Sounds like him. I, could yep. hear, I could hear that. Yeah, I think that. I think I hear Jim Martin on there. That may yeah, need think... fact. That may need a fact check from upstairs. Hey, you guys, check. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll call him right now. I'll just pay phone right here. But hey, Jim. Um, uh, yeah. A pay, a pay they, phone. They were nice. never the same after he left. I mean, he he's like the missing ingredient. You know, the metal, the metal flavor that they needed. You know? Totally agree. Yeah. And they I, never had. They never had a stable lineup ever since then. Basically. So. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, let me, let me, let me go off on a tangent here. We've been talking music, but, uh, you're known as, uh, besides a musician, obviously as a photographer. So, um, when did you first get interested in photography and did you have any, um, uh, role models? Like, you know, when, whenever we have guests on the show that are musicians, they tell us who their first guitar hero is, their first favorite singer or whatever. Did you have anybody whose work you admired in the photography field that you sort of modeled yourself after? Or how did that all come about? Um, basically, I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was concert photos were amazing. And uh, there was a guy I went to high school with, a guy named Randall Corey. He used to have snapshots that he would sell me. I used my lunch money and buy photos from like these Stay on the Green concerts they'd have. And um, I was kind of fascinated by it. And, um, I said, hell, I could do the same thing. What the hell, right? And so I started bringing my camera to shows. Back then, you didn't have a photo pass. You could bring in any kind of camera you wanted. You, you could, you know, take pictures, have a big zoom lens, whatever. And it was cool. But then I guess uh, the music industry kind of started frowning upon that because I guess that the photography thing was cutting into their tour book sales and all that stuff like that. So little by little, it got harder to get cameras in. And um, uh, there's a guy named Jim Marshall. I shot a bunch of stuff in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, he was kind of a hero. And, uh, it's funny that you asked that. Cause there's a, there's a gentleman. Oh, I, I shouldn't say gentleman. He's a fucking prick, but, uh, his, yeah. Okay. We, I we think, can go I there. Think I, I think I know there. who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, an Englishman named Ross Helfen. Mm -hmm. And he shot a lot of the early maiden stuff. And mm -hmm. I used to kind of look up to him because he was in Kerrang. He was like the main Kerrang photographer. And, uh, I finally got to meet him at a maiden show backstage. I asked him for his autograph and he just looked at me like, are you fucking serious? Why the fuck would you want an autograph from me? And he pretty much was a complete prick to me. He just blew me off. And then through the years, he's kind of been like a pain in my side. Um, I'm trying to get a photo of like Hetfield and Tom Ray together at Dan the Green the day before the gig. He goes and tells security I'm not supposed to be in there. He has me like kicked out and stuff. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, they flew uh, 150 of us, their best friends from back in the day out to Cleveland. Metallica did. Uh, put us up in a hotel, paid for the airfare and everything. Best weekend of my life almost. It was amazing. Wow. Here's Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin talking to Metallica. And I go, wow, this is fucking incredible. I had my camera. 
And I started taking a picture of them together. You know, this is like, this is legendary historic moment, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Alfred is there. He comes up and puts his hand in front of my camera. He goes, no. He goes, no, you're not taking, you're not getting this. And he tried to like stop me from taking photos. And then I couldn't believe it. I go, dude, you don't have the exclusive. Who the fuck are you? And I almost fucking wanted to pound his ass over this stuff. And we almost got this. I mean, I, I figured I didn't want to cause a scene because, you know, we're, everyone's having a great time and everything. So um, I was so pissed off. I was going to send some pizzas to his hotel room, you know, a bunch of pizzas, you know, that old gag. And then uh, a couple weeks later, um, I wrote him this email. And it's like the most scathing, shit-talking email that I've ever written in my life. I was almost like shaking after I'd written it. But it basically said, you're a fucking prick and you give photographers a bad name, blah, blah, blah. You're a stuck-up cunt. I hope you die from a coronary tomorrow. Contrary to what you believe, you didn't have the exclusive um, uh, at the Metallica party, blah, blah, blah. And um, he was so proud that he had pissed off somebody so much like that that he put out a book uh, of Metallica photos called The Ultimate Metallica. And he printed my entire email on the very last page of the book. He wrote a letter from a fan and, and printed my entire scathing email uh, in, in full. And uh, I thought it was great that, that he, he was so proud that he pissed off somebody so much, you know, he's like kind of known to have a, you know, he was just like an ornery kind of grouchy old fuck, you know. Yeah. But I just thought it was great that he actually printed my entire email word for <laughs> exactly. word. But of course he didn't give me, you know, give me the, uh, the, you know, the joy of having my name as being the person, but everybody knew it. And I thought it was fucking classic. So he didn't, he, he was, he was not chicken shit to print your email. He was chicken shit to say who it was from. Exactly. exactly. He didn't uh, want to give okay. me the, the, the joy of doing that. He, though, but. he, he, you know, I mean, we can all agree just as fans, it, it might be, a little more difficult for you because you're biased to step away from it and go, he's a great photographer. He's right. done a lot for rock, rock music. And of course for Some Metallica well, and for Iron Maiden, he's sure. <laughs> well, you know what I'm trying to say, right? I'm, you know, benefit of the doubt is I'm giving you just as much as I'm giving him. And it's, it's terrible that, that he, that you had that experience. You were a guest of, of Metallica. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there was a moment happening, you know, Jimmy fucking Page walks in and you're there as a guest of Metallica. It was like, what if James Hetfield's mom was there going to take a photo? Would he have done the same to her? Fuck That's no. true. That's a good point. I mean, I don't know what he would have done. No, I'm sorry, Mrs. Hetfield. You're fucked. <laughs> I don't <laughs> fucking think so. So to me, it's the same. You've known James longer than he has. Oh, big time, big time. What, I mean, if you're going to like sort of like, you know, kind of like cut it down to the skinny here, I, you know, and I'm not even, I feel like I'm not talking shit about Ross Alphen. I know you are, but. Oh, I'm totally the, talking shit. No, I know you are. Leafly. I'm the peacemaker here, if anything. Trust, trust that. Right, but no, the, I hear you. But the, but the point is, the point is, is that's a terrible mishap. That's terrible that that shit happened. Um, yeah, he, so he, the, he, he totally like crushed me when I was a little, I mean, I looked up to him yeah, as a photographer and, yeah. and he was just like a yeah. complete jerk. And it's like, why does he got to be like that? You know? Well, they say, yeah. don't meet your heroes, yeah. right? That's true. That's a really good point. Yeah, so it turned into one of those, don't, you don't want to meet a uh, Superman because he might be a dick. And then you go meet Clark Kent and he might be, buy you a sandwich. And you wish you hadn't met him because like you, you'd rather have remember him like the way that you thought he was before that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good a, point. That's a really good analogy, it's man. It's just one of those things, and um, yep. 
I don't want to. I'm not patting myself on the back, but the peacemaker. I am really what I'm I'm trying. Yeah, you should. You should. (laughs) Hey, everyone should pat uh, Harold on the back because uh, he's now uh, uh, been a a, a fantastic motherfucker of an episode on the Talk Louder podcast. Harold, we could go. We could go. We could go for four more hours. Easily, easily. Put out that second book, and we'll do this again. Well, yeah, we, don't, sure. we, don't, we don't need, here's the deal. We don't need to wait for another book. If there's True. other shit that me and Dave want to talk about, we're just going to call you and book you again. You should, you should. Yeah. You guys have been great, great hosts too. I mean, um, like we said at the beginning, I mean, like we live from music is our life basically. Yeah. You know? yeah well, exactly. there's so and, much, um, just, there's so much just about the Bay area scene and the things that have happened there and the, just the whole, I mean, there's so many things we haven't talked about. There's so many bands that we haven't mentioned. We didn't really even you know break the surface of for the legacy testament thing the, oh, yeah. the exodus years the i mean we we could probably spend half hour on talking about bonded by blood oh easily, easily. Yeah. We, 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 a, a week yeah. but a week on it, you know right i mean i dare so i say song by song breakdown or something yeah yeah, right. yeah. Uh, anyway exactly. it's just uh it, it's just amazing you you, you know and you're in oakland yeah, yep. And you're you're born and raised in Oakland. I was born in San Francisco, and I grew up in Sunnyvale, but pretty much lived in the Bay Area my whole life. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Deep roots here. Yeah, Raiders or Forty Niners? Uh, neither. Ah, not not a much player. of a sports guy. Okay. I'm All on right. your I'm on your team, Harold, because sports <laughs> are not even on my radar. I I'm can't, Raider Raiders, can't just for the record. No, that's lots cool. of lots of people I know are way into it though. It's like. Uh, yeah, over uh, the kind of enjoy it precariously through them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good that's a good way to be happy because they're happy, right? But yeah. um, if I could do a quick plug, um, I'm in a band yeah. now called Jesus Crisis. I love yeah. that. And how we're can like we, a how can we piece. find? How can we find you? How can we find you first? Um, we got a Facebook page. Did a couple of videos. Um, we did a, uh, did a demo. And we're still kind of working on. Okay. Um, we did a song called "Fuck the Virus." Alex Golnick from Testament lays down a ripping solo on there for us. Oh yes! And um, very soon uh, we've been working on a video. It's we have a song called "Murder in the Front Row," yep. and nice. it's basically about 800 of my photos, and it talks all about the Bay Area scene. Uh, let me uh, spot off a couple quick lyrics here. Um, uh, Slayer showed no mercy and taught us hella weights. Possessed were still in high school and they had shitty grades. Yeah, and um. It's just basically uh, just about the Bay Area scene, how we hated posers, like uh, evil Motley. bands like Slayer. You, you uh, mentioned you name check Motley Crue and Poison specifically because I heard the song this afternoon before. Oh, I there you go, there you go, exactly, awesome. exactly. Yeah, they, people they, people say they, they don't like they don't like the part we say gay or something. That's the way we talked back then. It was it's not very politically correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah hey, you muted yourself, Harold. You muted yourself. Unmute you. I just got another call. There you go. All right. Yeah, Jesus Crisis. We got the demo we're working on, and I'm also in a Sabbath tribute band called Backstabbers. Okay. Saw that as well. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> hey, Harold. Uh, tell us one more time how they can find Jesus Crisis. Uh, you can find it on Facebook. Um, we got a page on there, and then uh, um, okay. Murder in the Front Row. The video should be out in about a uh, probably. I'm, I'm not even posted tonight, so keep an eye out for that. But it's got about 600 shots of mine in there and uh, wow. uh, talking about the, the whole scene and everything. It, it came out really good. I'm real proud of it. So, Do you have a personal website? 
Uh, I should, but uh, I have that's just on my Facebook. You know, just look me up. If, send me a friend request if you want to see yeah, photos and stuff. And uh, there's a there's a lot of photos that you've taken of of just the Bay Area scene over the years that are flying around on your Facebook. People could. Oh yeah. I mean. I mean, aren't you afraid people are going to go and like, do they have watermarks on them and stuff? They should. If I was smart, I would have done that. But it's like, yeah, what the I hell? see watermarks on stuff and it, it, it like ruins the photo almost, I think, you know, takes well, away from it, it. But of course it does. But, you know, these are these are trying times. And, you know, some of those people might want to rip those off. And if there's a big fucking watermark across it, they can't. Yeah. There's not that much you can do about that, unfortunately. I mean, I used to sell snapshots. You could make copies of the prints, but I mean, you can only control that so much. You know what I mean? I'm going to make a huge poster of this Larry Lalonde photo and sell it on eBay. There you go. Yeah. Do you think that there, how many, before we let you go, do you think yeah. that it's in the thousands uh, that people don't realize Larry, one Larry Lalonde from Primus was once in, in uh, The Mighty Possessed? Possessed. And here's anybody, anybody knows about that. And let's They're go dumb. one farther. Let's they need go one to think farther. about it, man. They need to learn. And and we can go one farther. Larry Lalonde is also behind the theme music to South Park. Is that correct? Well, that's that is correct. That's yeah. Primus. Yeah. And Blind Illusion. Yes. Yeah. He was in Blind yeah. Illusion too. Yeah, he plays on the record. He was. I think you'd mentioned that earlier. And yeah, I just, yeah. I just I, I forget so many things firing at me right now. So Larry's the greatest guy ever, man. He, wow. he he's always taking care of me and um. Uh, I love he's his just, guitar playing, man. Oh yeah, he's he so can unique. Play you know, and, and when when even when he's in possessed, we we we'd be sitting around like the, I don't want to say the campfire, but that's kind of what it was like at the back of the band and stuff. You could name any song from any genre of music, and he would play it like note for note, like all the song all the way through. Man, he's a really talented guy. He's the greatest guy. He's one of the coolest friends I have. I think you know, wow. really cool guy. Wow. And now he's doing Alex Lifeson to a fucking T. You know. Um, well, see, anyone who can do Alex Lifeson to a T, because Alex Lifeson is, Lifeson is kind of a one-of-a-kind. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's a one-of-a-kind. And I can see that tonight. In fact, right after this, I'm going to the Greek theater to see them do the Primus thing again. You know? Unbelievable. Dude. Oh, my God. I Right when we just talked that, I just got a text from Larry Lalonde. Holy shit. At the top of my phone, it said something about the show tonight. Oh, synchronicity. Here we are talking about him on a fucking Yes. Page. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Well, we listen, have, wow. a, have an awesome time and just, Thank you, uh, man. you know, yeah. tell people, and I'm not groveling or begging, but just tell your friends about Talk Louder. It's a really fun podcast, and I'm glad. Oh, for you, sure. I've, had a, I've you, had a great time. You you're, you guys are great hosts, great questions. You guys know your shit, and we're coming from a, a very similar place, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this was great, man. Harold, uh, thank yeah. you so much. It was nice to meet you and pick your brain. Likewise. And uh, wow, what a wealth of stories and history and experience. And again, people that uh, don't have murder in the front row need to go check it out. It's awesome. And with that, I'd like to thank our special guest, Harold O. I'm not going to attempt to say your last name. I'm going to, I don't want to. Oyman. 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 Just kind of like Oy. a, kind of like a Oy. Three Stooges thing. Oy. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Jim Martin. Jim Martin used to have a little thing. You go, Harold ointments. Harold ointments. His bass playing is a disappointment. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and yeah. on that note, yes. we'll wrap it up. Harold, thank you so much, man. You've been a blast. I really appreciate it. I'm Metal Thanks, Dave. On, on behalf of my co-host Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest Harold O. Okay. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, man.